morning, church. <laughs> Have I told you lately that I love you? Because I do. Um, Nicholas asked me to read from the Bible today, which is my favorite. And um, it's the book of Matthew, in the chapter 15. And it's uh, he has an encounter with this Canaanite woman who has a sick kid. And um, she's not about to take no for an answer. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So the disciples came up to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He paused for a minute and he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him and pleaded again, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is a part I like. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Well, that reading uh, is the reading from the lectionary uh, for today. Now, here at the Aspen Chapel, uh, I know she said, uh, we're going to read from the Bible, as if that was something different. Uh, We do read from other things, but it is the the, the lecture reading. Now, what the lectionary is, for those who don't know, it's the official readings for both the Catholic Church and all the Episcopal churches. Uh, uh, That's the reading that they would have today. And the reading we've got that today is that I've been doing all this series on uh, life force or forced life, and I just, I just didn't know where to go next. I thought, well, I was exhausted by having written that. And I thought, well, let's go back to the lectionary, I thought, and just see what the rest of the church is doing. And uh, so I came across uh, this reading, and, you know, it seems in, incredibly apt, I think, for, you know, us in this time. You know, here is a woman who does not belong. And, you know, the disciples shoo her away because she's making such a noise. And even Jesus says he doesn't belong. You know, Jesus who's, you know, meek and marsh, you know, send her away. I'm not for her. Jesus sends her away. And uh, because she's a Canaanite woman, she's not a Jew. He says, I'm only sent for the Jews, not for the Canaanites. Um, and the woman then kneels before Jesus and begs. He says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus takes pity on her and heals her daughter. Now, Everything Belongs, that theme, um, is also a book by Richard Raw. He, he uh, wrote, it's his most popular book, and he said he thought it was the title that made it the most popular book. And in the introduction to the book, he says, how do you make attractive that which is not? How do you sell emptiness, vulnerability, and non-success? He might have added, particularly in Aspen. 
How do you sell emptiness, vulnerability, and non-success? How do you talk about the path of descent when everything is about ascent? How do you market letting go against capitalist culture? And he could have gone on to say that, you know, how do you love everything that society calls unlovely? You know, there is so much in our society that is attractive and so much that is unattractive or repulsive. We're faced with that all the time in politics, in the news at the moment, in our community, in nature, in personalities, and in ourselves. We're faced with things that repulse us and faced with things that attract us. And interestingly enough, the word attraction, uh, the word attract, comes from the Latin word which means to draw or to pull, to draw or to pull. That which is attractive has the power to pull us towards it. So in reality, that which is attractive is actually doing the action. It is pulling us towards it. And to some extent, in both attraction and repulsion, we are in the thrall of that, the power of that which is attracting us. And in the same way, that which is not attracting us is that is that which is repulsing us. Again, you know, repulsive. The word comes from the Latin word repelliere, which means to draw back, which means to drive back, rather. It means to drive back repelliere. And in both those cases, in, a, in the case of attraction and repulsion, we are in a sense, the effect of a power outside ourselves, whether that be pulling us towards itself or driving us away. The power, in a sense, is outside ourselves. You know, in reality, we think we're deciding on the basis of our own feelings. You know, we don't, when we think about things attracting us or repulsing us, We don't acknowledge the power that that thing might be having on us. Instead, we say, I'm attracted by such and such, or I'm repelled by such and such, making it seem as if the feeling is coming from us, as if we're choosing, rather than acknowledging that the power is actually coming from somewhere outside ourselves. And I think, therefore, that the whole nature of attraction and repulsion, you know, the way that we operate with it, is in a sense disempowering us. We think we're making a choice, whereas the choice is actually being made for us. We're being drawn by one thing or repulsed by another. And, you know, advertisers know this. They try to make, they try to attract us and make us think we are doing the deciding. Whereas in effect, they're exerting an unseen power on us, which is, why they're known as Hidden Persuaders, which is the book by Vance Packard. He talks about this idea that the actual power is hidden. Now, obviously, it's not a good thing to be at the effect of something else without knowing it. You know, we go along thinking that we are attracted to such and such a person, when in fact that person is doing the attraction. They are pulling us towards them, or we're repulsed by something, and the repulsion is being done to us. And you only have to look at nature to look at how that works. 
you look at things that smell bad. I won't go graphic, but there are things that smell bad that we just know we're not supposed to go towards. And you look at flowers that attract bees and butterflies by their color and by their smell. You look at butterflies that have eyes on them to repulse people. It, it goes throughout nature. And I think so it is with us. And we have to be aware of that because otherwise we're making decisions without being aware of how those decisions are being made inside us. We have to take that power back to ourselves. And that is the action of loving. Not to be at the effect of an unconscious power outside ourselves. Not to be at the effect of our the reactivity of our minds, but to be magnanimous and open-hearted to all knowing that the real power lies in our hearts. And if we're able to open our hearts and let it out, then we become a force for good in the world rather than reacting to chaos. I mean, I can think of just an example of this. Uh, It was on my wedding day. And uh, I I don't know what you do. The wedding was at 12 o'clock, and I was a bit of a loss as to what to do between 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock, you know. And you're just waiting, you know. You've had breakfast, and the family are all, you know. And I was dressed, as usual, early. And so I decided to go down to the local park and wander about, you know, just sort of be with my feelings and thoughts. And so I went down to the local park, and I sat in a, uh, on a bench in the park just to sort of contemplate the the beauty of the rolling park in front of him. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a street person shambling towards me, clutching a bottle and walking rather unsteadily towards me. And, you know, I was like, oh, no, I want the time on my own. I don't, you know, I haven't got dog collar on. I don't, you know, I don't want to deal with you, please. Would you go away? I didn't say that. Uh, because I was too good to myself. So he shambled up and he sat next to me on the bench, and the sort of odour of decay went across to me like that, and I was sort of holding myself. And then suddenly he said to me, what are you up to today? And I said, well, actually, I'm getting married today. And he said, he looked at me and he said, you know, getting married is a bigger step than Armstrong took when he walked on the moon. All that is involved in getting married is such a huge thing. Are you aware of that? He said to me. And I said, you know, I said, no, no, I hadn't thought of it. Really. He said, I'd like to give you a blessing, he said. And this, he put his bottle down and he came around behind me and he, he put his hands on my head. I can't remember what he said. He did this incant, you know, incantation. Oh, Lord, bless this person. And then he said, well, there we are then. Uh, hope you have a good day. And he picked up his bottle and he sort of shambled off with his bottle. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, I decided that this guy was, you know, nothing. And I just didn't want to deal with it. And he just gave me the most incredible blessing. It was like an angel had appeared to me in the face of this homeless guy. And, you know, I'd never have been open. You know, if I'd had, the, you know, the strength to say, go away, you know, I'd never have received that. The thing is that we're incredibly selective about who we want to deal with all the time. Dostoevsky uh, wrote in his book, uh, The Brothers Karamazov, he wrote, Love people even in their sin, for that is the semblance of divine love, and it is the highest love on earth. 
love all of God's creation, the whole and every grain of sand of it. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love the animals, love the plants, love everything. If you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. And once you perceive it, you will begin to comprehend it better every day. And you will come at last to love the whole world in an all-embracing love. And he's really quoting those two commands of Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But for us, it's more like, you know, when we think about it, I'm going to love the Lord with all my mind, all my heart, and all my strength, and love my neighbor as long as she doesn't smell and is not in the wrong political frame of mind and is not going to inconvenience us duly or is not going to annoy us in some way or upset us. You know, we're so selective and partial about who we're willing to love. You know, we even have reservations about our friends and family. There's a lovely quote in England. You know, there's none so queer as folk except thee and me, and thee's a bit queer. And it really means that, you know, you just, we, we just are totally selective. In truth, we find it very difficult, I think, to include and select, which is a lot of what's going on politically, I think, at the moment. You know, Don got up and asked that question last week about how we deal with things we don't, that don't represent us. And the story of the Samaritan woman, I think, speaks to that. The fact is that we're asked to love all. And that takes work on our behalf. The work of opening our hearts and letting the power come from here. But that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. I think, you know, they're important boundaries. I mean, we had, you know, with a homeless situation, we had a situation where all the way through last winter, we had homeless people sleeping on our deck here. And it was quite difficult, you know, when I used to bring marriage parties in to, to look at getting married in the chapel, I had to bring them in this way so they didn't step over the homeless people on, at the door. And, you know, we had it through the winter and it got to a point where, you know, we had various rules and, and you know, they had to be there after 10 o'clock and leave before 7. And then, you know, one night they were smoking dope outside and the next night uh, we had a concert with children and they were still there at, they were at 7 o'clock in the morning. So we had to make a decision that it wasn't appropriate for them to be there because there was a boundary. So I think it's important that we have boundaries and we had to ban them from being there. We're now going to welcome them in the winter. But it's important within that love to have boundaries. I don't know if you know Van Gogh was a missionary. I said this before, but he ended up totally uh, penniless when he went to be a missionary to the Belgian miners and his brother had to come and rescue him because he had no boundaries. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have boundaries. I think boundaries are incredibly important uh, and, and that we, you know, have them in our lives. Richard Ross says that people who have learned to live from the centre of God know which boundaries are worth maintaining and which can be surrendered. And it's about listening for a voice that's beyond our own. When we're trying to work out those boundaries, listening to a voice that's beyond our own, And we often think we know what's right and we just try to hold on to that. But that can lead us into making distinctions between what's right and what's wrong or, you know, what's sacred and and what's profane. You know, what what we we, we were prepared to have and what we are repulsed by. Yeah, I've said it 
mentioned the story before, but when Jesus died on the cross, you know, as well as the thunder and the lightning and the darkness that happened, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And the veil of the temple, why that's significant, is the veil of the temple was the curtain that represented everything behind the curtain was the Holy of Holies. And everything in front of the curtain was profanum, outside the temple. That's where profanum, the word profane, comes from, that which is outside the temple, profanum. And the the veil of the temple was rent in twain, the curtain, which really was saying that everything has holiness within it. And that sense that everything belongs is such an important concept. That everything, the idea that everything belongs. And we're so keen to decide, you know, what's good and what's bad. And yet even Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The the tree that enabled you to work out what was good or evil. And it's not our job to decide what's worthy of our love. It's just our job to love because we are in part, we are all part of that love. Everything you see, everything is upheld by that love and infused by that love. And our job is to respond to it in a like way, with love. Even those people we see as being bad and wrong deserve our love. It's the only way we can respond to them. To respond in any other way is to be at the effect of the power that they are exerting on us and therefore amplifying that power. Which is why detachment in in the creation of a loving attitude to life is so important. You have to detach yourself from that, from that being at the effect. Meister Eckhart says, pure detachment is not concerned about being above or below any creature. It does not wish to be above or below. It would stand on its own, loving nothing, hating nothing, and seeing neither equality or inequality with any creature, nor this nor that. It wants merely to be. And in doing that, in having that detachment, it forces us to own our own power in God. It is not an unloving stance, but one that forces us to be receptive to nothing but the power of the divine. So we take ourselves out of being affected by the repulsion or the attraction and we rest in the power of the divine. We open ourselves to be subject to the true healing and nourishing power of that divine. And in the same way, God's not partial. You know, it rains on the good and the evil. But all things are contained within that love of the divine. And I think we are asked to be impartial too. To be partial is to judge one aspect of the whole and differentiate it from another aspect, which naturally creates separation as well as the illusion of our separateness from the whole. Just judging creates separation and an illusion of our separateness from the whole. Richard Raw says, as long as we are judging in judging mode, we cannot love. As long as we're in judging mode, we cannot love. It is not the realm of freedom where love flourishes to judge. It is not the realm of freedom. What flourishes in judgment is control, comparison, and competition, which is blind to love. We now don't live from our hearts, but more 
we live by comparing ourselves to others. So often, just in our own minds, we try and compare ourselves to others. We live through their eyes. How can I make myself more attractive? What will people think of me when I'm saying this? How can I judge what others think about me? That goes so much into our lives. And as a result, we don't really live in our own bodies or trust our own feelings and experiences. We live through what others think of us, what others are feeling about us. So in reality, we are two steps removed from our bodies and what we think others are thinking and feeling about us. You know, it's no wonder we're in a mess. We're not living from our true feelings. They say this process really began, you know, when mirrors became widely available in the 15th century. When mirrors were actually starting to be manufactured, there suddenly there was a different perspective. We began to see ourselves for the first time as separate from ourselves. And therefore we began to judge. And somewhere we became divorced from our own reality. So how do we respond? How do we avoid scenes like those at Charlottesville and still do what's right? Well, I think the first step is to resist being in their power, to resist being at the effect of their repulsiveness. We have to be at another level of consciousness to be able to do that. That idea from Einstein that you cannot solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created the problem in the first place. You have to move into that different level of consciousness. And in moving into that different level of consciousness, you you can see that quote that's been around from Nelson Mandela. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than the opposite. They have to learn to hate. And we can see that they are victims too. This is the key thing. The new level of consciousness is to see that those we despise are also victims, that they have been abused by others. And as a result of that abuse, they have responded in their ignorance. To see that way, to see it that way is the beginning of compassion. And so the impetus must be to include and not condemn. It must be that detachment that doesn't judge, but enables us to contain with love. Anything else is just managing life to suit our own ends, which is essentially selfish. Like not wanting homeless people here because they're smelly will in some way infect us. You know, they could be a blessing, like on our wedding day. You know, we keep them at a distance so we're comfortable. Instead, we should create boundaries that enables us to be safe and serving. Boundaries created in love that ensure safety and security for everyone. And the idea that everyone and everything belongs is a radical one because it challenges our comfortable notions of right and wrong. It challenges our desire to blame for our pain. It challenges our desire to control the world so we can be more comfortable. You have to remember that Jesus touched the untouchable ones, the lepers. He ate and drank with sinners and prostitutes. He broke the Sabbath laws. He attacked the teachers of the law. He turned the world's ideas of right and wrong upside down. And, you know, we have to do the same. And once again, the work is done in our inner souls, in our prayer time, in our meditation time. And it's there that we have to prepare ourselves to confront our own partiality and our 
cultivated detachment and cultivate detachment. We have to be like Rumi's guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat the guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at your door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from the beyond. Each has been sent as a guide from the beyond. So it's with what attracts us and repulses us. It's, you know, it's the same with that. We have to entertain them without being at the effect of them because they all go to make up the whole. And our role is to recognize that whole without being partial, to be a small part of that whole. There is, in fact, whole itself. We have to be the whole bit. And by doing so, our wholeness creates a context for the wholeness that we can contain. Everything out there. Our wholeness creates wholeness out there. And these really are some of the most difficult things to get our heads around. They're age-old problems. And next week, we're going to look at the whole area of loving our enemies, which sort of moves into this sort of territory. Amen. So let's just hold up our world now. Just all the division and hatred. We think of Charlottesville, Barcelona, all those who've been touched, Norway, London. Think of our members of our community traveling in Spain at the moment. Uh, particularly think of the Hicks family and Barbara and Austin Owen traveling in Spain. Lord, we just pray for hearts that will heal, people that will be able to contain with compassion what is going on in our world. And we pray for our community, for Patricia Hill, Will Welsh, Pat Smith, Molly McCarthy Coman, Barbara Orcutt, Anne Hodges, Tegan Sullivan, Soleil, Lee Bouguet, Joan Valentine and Lindley, Sharon Wells, Jack Kasky and his wife Suzanne, who's Jack's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pray for Matt Freeman, uh, Pat's husband, who's just had a major operation and just come out of hospital. Lord, we pray your healing power to all these people and to our world in Jesus' name.